0: You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop. Serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk.
1: All over the world, people are having what's called near-death experiences and Joseph Classo is on the board of directors of the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. And uh, we go now to my first part of my interview with him. So Joseph, how did you yourself, first of all, come to be involved as a director on the board of the Near-Death Experience Foundation?
2: I had a a spiritually transformative experience myself uh, many decades ago now. And um, when I first encountered the accounts that were on the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation's website, I was immediately drawn to them, as if, wow, this is what I experienced. This is they understand it. They they know what it is. And so, long story short, I just kind of engaged with uh, them, sending them emails, giving them suggestions about you know improving um, areas of the website, and sort of a relationship developed with Jody Long, who basically runs that website along with Dr. Jeffrey Long, and that's how we got connected. Now, obviously,
1: we've heard stories from different sources, but how common are near-death experiences? They're reported all over the world, aren't they?
2: They are reported all over the world. They're relatively uncommon in uh, traumatic experiences, so they do come out uh, usually at about the rate of, uh, if you look at cardiac arrest patients, where people's actual hearts stop, sort of, and they experience what you might describe as clinical death, the experience Experienced prevalency is probably somewhere between 10 to 20%. And, of course, you can derive that experience, near-death experiences, from all kinds of life-threatening events that they occur, and they will probably be somewhere in that range. Um, And, of course, near-death experiences falls under a much larger umbrella of spiritually transformative experiences, but near-death experiences are the experiences that I think are most sought after by the researchers and scientists looking into them.
1: Now, I think it's true to say that a lot of people who have these sorts of experiences find it quite difficult, actually, to share. Uh, they've obviously had a, a life-changing experience, and then, of course, they, to share that with others, they get so many different reactions. But what are the prominent the, the prominent reasons why people struggle to share the experiences that they've gone through?
2: I, I think it's relatively um, easy to understand that when you have an experience that is profoundly um, transcendent in its content, where things of the nature of spirit, God, um, communication without words, um, and all kinds of experiences that are inconsistent with the way we experience waking reality in this human existence and human life, it becomes incredibly difficult to articulate, let alone have a conversation with someone about such an experience. So right away, I think people are met with skepticism. Although I I believe many people are very excited when they return to share their experience, they're often uh, shut down relatively quickly by sometimes the closest people in their lives. Um, And that often turns people inwards and their experiences sometimes can be sort of sheltered uh, for years to decades before they really have a have the ability to integrate it into their own lives and properly communicate it with the rest of the world
1: now we're going to be talking to rachel a wee bit later on of course that was true of her as well wasn't it it was some time after her experiences and then her writing about it that of course she even found it easy to get to that place where she could talk about it
2: yeah dr long has often said that it takes about seven years for the integration of an experience to occur Um, to process it in a way that you understand it and it's meaningful to you in your life uh, and perhaps communicate it with others. Rachel, ironically, also took seven years exactly. She mentions the time um, when her father had passed, which was seven years after her experience, that she began to put the pieces together in a little bit more cohesive way, I think, for herself and her ability to share it. And that's when she started um, her Facebook page and bruised but not broken and what an incredible following she's gathered just by the instinct or inclination of really going in a direction to try to serve those people she felt um that she needed to serve and that is those who you know experienced trauma and abuse
1: and, and are the people who experience uh, near-death episodes uh, are they always positive i mean obviously rachel's is very much a positive story but is that always the case
2: the vast majority of them are positive indeed um, I would say ninety to ninety five percent of the experiences are can be considered positive experiences although there is a consistent um, reports of negative experiences experiences that uh, where the core experience might actually uh, involve darkness um, fear, and may even gravitate to things that you know that would be considered sort of very distressing and contain hellish imageries and things of that nature. But the vast majority are not of that type.
1: Now, obviously, people generally uh, are frightened of death. You know, many people find it very difficult even to talk about death. Would it be true to say that people who have had near-death experiences, the majority of them actually end up with literally no fear of death?
2: That is one of the most amazing after effects of near death experiences, I would say there's probably two or three that come to mind, but the loss of the fear of death is one that I think is most evidential of the reality of the near death experience. The loss of the fear of death that is described by near death experiencers is not one of sort of courage and bravado uh, to die for you know king and country and things of that nature. Rather, the loss of the fear of death is a natural, natural outworking of the fact that they believe that they've experienced that the afterlife, that they've been on the other side, and therefore death has you know, no sting, as uh, I think many Christians might say. Um, Dr. Kenneth Ring put it very succinctly, and I'll just read this to you once, he was quoted in a, uh, in a research paper on the loss of fear of death. And he says, when an individual knows with a sense of unshakable certitude that he can exist outside of his own body, intuitively understands that physical death is not an end. And I really think that says it all.
1: Yes, indeed, it, it, it certainly does. People who have experiences then, are they always by their very nature spiritual, even though they may not necessarily just be Christian spiritual experience? Uh, is it a, a broad experience, but do people tend to see God, angels, things that would, that, that we would relate to spiritual experience?
2: Um. At, at, well, The definition of a near death experience has always been one that has been a struggle because intrinsic to the experience is the transcendent side of it. Dr. Long at the Near Death Experience Research Foundation has defined it as a lucid experience associated with perceived consciousness apart from the body during a time of actual or threatened imminent death. So think about that perceived consciousness apart from the body. Well, you can't discuss the notion of being. Conscious apart from your body, without discussions of or conjuring up the nature of the soul and spirit, and so it's very much tied in uh, with the actual experience itself.
1: How have the the sort of religious inst- institutions, the the church, and so on, uh, how have they generally reacted to these sorts of stories? Uh, are 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 they welcomed? I
2: I have I've been very much involved in many different. Churches and church denominations. In fact, you can say that part of my role uh, that I've kind of self-defined for myself at the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, um, I should mention that our core mission is to disseminate and increase global awareness into these experiences. I believe there's an incredible bridge um, to helping discuss this experience within a Christian context. For me, the experience validated something that I didn't believe in at the time of my experience. And I was a hard-nosed atheist. So I was extremely excited about the experience and I immediately went to scripture myself to try to say, uh, is this stuff true? Can this stuff be true that, you know, we're reading about and learning about? And, um, long story short, I did find incredible consistencies within the Christian faith. However, at an organized religious level, I think there are still many obstacles to kind of enabling uh, church leaders to be able to comfortably speak about this um, within the theological framework that I think most Christians have to deal with. So the answer is no Unfortunately, I think there's great interest. I have seen great interest. Actually, I've had firsthand experience with Leaders in major denominations who have shown incredible interest in our work, but then as they tried to bring it up uh, the ladder and sort of uh, in a larger context within the denominations, they either didn't feel comfortable or they were shut down in the process. And so that's a, that's a sad truth, but something I believe we can overcome. Do you think
1: that one of the reasons for that Joseph might be that obviously there's there's mainstream Christian doctrine and of course there is deception we 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 know that do you think that maybe there's a fear that there could be a measure of deception in in some of the cases that 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 are reported
2: goodness blair you have hit a very important point here so many experiencers i cannot tell you how many have reached out to us that repeatedly tell us that one of the first things they did when they had their experience was reach out to their church, because, of course, the church, from their perception, and really on a on a global scale, is the place where most people go to experience, find, learn about spirituality. So when you have a real experience, and you approach a church, and the church, uh, you know, may, may listen and understand and try to hear your experience, but really has no place uh, has no way to engage you because support and education within the church is not there, and sadly they are shut down. And um, this is one area why I think we do need to have this discussion uh, with Christians and with church leaders, in particular, to try to help build those bridges. It's such a beautiful experience, um, and the idea that uh, I've I've seen this, and I can you know name a couple of of experiences that come to mind who have been told that their experience was perhaps. Um, you know, demonic or in a demonic expression. And I think that is a profound betrayal of the understanding of Christian doctrine. I think Jesus, in his life and manifestation of his miracles, um, the enemy more or less, in my opinion, if you look at it from a Christian context, will attack good, loving things and try to ascribe to those good, loving things the, you know, the motives of demonic uh, forces and things of that nature. When in reality, the vast majority of these experiences are conveying a level of love that is not experienced in this world. And that love is not only the centerpiece, light and love is not only the centerpiece of the experience, but it's persistently seen in their lives and the way it emerges and the way it impacts them. They become less materialistic, more compassionate, um, and less competitive. And all these After effects really go to the very heart of the fruit of the spirit more than anything that would come from darkness. Sadly, though, I think that, you know, Satan can disguise himself as a being of light is a phrase that all too often comes out.
1: Obviously, you've had your own experience there. You were a hardened atheist. And, of course, it was transformational for you because it was a route into you yourself coming uh, to faith. The sorts of struggles that we've discussed, Joseph, did did they come your way as well? Did you have a rough time? Uh, In one sense, you had a great time because you suddenly realized, wow, there is a God out there. But was it all positive?
2: Uh, Every bit of it was incredibly positive. The immediate after effect, I mean, prior to the experience, um, I was a pretty angry individual. Um, I, I was very drawn, I was an analytical person by nature and drawn to sort of scientific studies, research papers, abstracts. I'll read an abstract and a re- research paper any day over a good novel, sadly, but that's my nature. And that analytical side and the absence of the clear observations of spirituality and spiritual things made it easy for me to be an atheist. Um, and I, sadly, I was very good at it. And I was good at putting down those conversations of people who had faith. And I feel extremely uh, repentant of that you know, side of me because after the experience, I was full of joy. In fact, the first thing after my experience, which wasn't a near-death experience, again, I wanna be clear, It can be called a fear death experience or a spiritually transformative experience. But my experience, I lost the fear of death. I knew God spoke to me. I had a sense of joy. The way I put it is I had a smile. The feeling was as of a smile on the inside, ear to ear, that I could not turn off. It lasted for uh, a matter of a couple of weeks, maybe even a few weeks after that. And in some ways, that feeling has never left me. And it motivates me to this day to do the things that I'm doing right here and sitting down to interview and tell and share uh, these experiences with others.
1: So Joseph, are the experiences generally on the, on the increase, would you say?
2: Um, no, I would say uh, speaking scientifically from a statistical perspective, they're still uh, in the same sort of frequency that you encounter them. I believe the awareness is increasing because of the work of so many researchers, including our own. Um I think the awareness is getting out there. I've seen them in news reports and uh they're incredibly empowering. They are incredibly inspiring. And so in that sense, um they do speak to the larger audience and population of the world, especially in these times where where we see war and hardship and suffering. Um, I just think that they're probably more, you know, present in terms of awareness in the world.
1: Well, finally, Joseph, if people wanted to learn more about the work of the Near Death Experience Foundation and indeed these sorts of experiences generally, what would you recommend them to have a look at?
2: Um, Well, the website uh, that Dr. Long is a part of, that Dr. Long founded, is called the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. And you can find the website at nderf.org. Uh, N-D-E-R-F dot org. Um, It's important to understand that although I'm part of the foundation, the viewpoints that I'm representing here are those of mine personally and not necessarily those of the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation or Dr. Jeffrey Long.
1: Well, uh, Joseph, thank you so much for joining with us. And uh, uh, you certainly uh, cleared the path really for us to have further discussion with, with Rachel. So thank you for joining us.
0: It's my
2: pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk.
1: Well, my special guest right now is someone who has actually had a near-death experience. Her name is Rachel uh, Finch. So, uh, hi, Rachel. Hi, Beth. And welcome to the programme. I know you've been listening intently there to Joseph, who, who, of course, you're uh, very much friends with. But before... All of these things happened to you. What, what was life like for you before you had your near-death experience?
3: Well, I wouldn't say I was particularly religious. I'd never heard of an NDA, never really had a, a spiritually transformative event, didn't know anything about anything of that nature.
1: Mm. And, uh, and so you'd never, you'd never even read a book of other people's experience? No, not at that point, no. And if I'd asked you then, if we'd met and I'd asked you about death, would you have found it easy to talk to me about it?
3: No, I wouldn't have had a good understanding of it. I wouldn't have known anything. Totally not my field.
1: Mm. Now you you had uh, quite a traumatic early life, didn't you? And, uh, That's right. And in fact, uh, you know, sadly, that involved abuse. And of course, you've gone on to, uh, to 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 create a website. But just tell us a little bit, you know, about about the trauma that you went through in those early days.
3: Um. Well it was sexual abuse but the truth is Blair that I'd actually suppressed that until the NDE and it was only through the NDE that I recalled those memories. Of, of childhood sexual violence and then had to deal with the healing of that as a young adult
1: and of course the thing is you you've gone on to create a website and you've got phenomenal people uh, sort of clicking into that website or is it something like eight hundred thousand, rachel that's right i mean w-
3: did that surprise you massively yeah when i started that process i i was just doing it for my own healing really i thought this would be a therapeutic way of expressing myself and managing those memories and the feelings that came with that. And it just blew up and grew and just, I couldn't believe it. Like It was a shock to my system to know just how many people are impacted by childhood violence and sexual violence.
1: And I suppose that what you did was you sort of took the lid of the can, didn't you? Um, giving people really somewhere where they could talk about these things, that which probably, like yourself, has been, had been suppressed in them for a long time.
3: Yes, and it's just so hard to talk about. Even when you, you recall those memories, it's you feel so isolated and alone in that experience. So to have this community where we all knew that we could share openly and honestly, we understood one another, and there was no judgment there whatsoever, and that was a really special place for people to confide. And what's the name of the website you did? It's Bruised But Not Broken. Bruised But Not Broken. Is that .com? Well, it's on Facebook. It's
1: a Facebook page. It's Facebook. Page. Yeah. So, so if, you, if you go on your Facebook and put bruised but not broken, then you'll be able to become your friend, Rachel. That's right. But, yes. but I bet you that, I mean, 800,000 must keep you somewhat
3: busy. It is, yeah. It's it's pretty much a large part of my life i dedicate to it it's it's really important to me
1: <laughs> now obviously like all uh, young young moms uh, you, you you had a family at least you had your first child coming and uh, no doubt looking forward to that experience very excited yes so you you end up uh, in in hospital and um and tell us what happened
3: well, I went into labour with her, with my first daughter early, actually. I was 20 years old and she wasn't ready to come. So it was a premature and a traumatic labour, to say the least. I had an episotomy and lost a, a huge amount of blood. Um, and it was about two days after she was born that they decided that we were, we were going to start a blood transfusion. And I remember even then just feeling really overwhelmed by that fact like, I, I didn't know what to expect I thought actually I don't want to do this and I just had this really negative feeling about it I was like I don't want to do that and obviously it was in you know you need the blood transfusion you've got no blood you know is what they were kind of saying
1: <laughs> I mean I suppose being you know a natural thing you mean you who likes operations <laughs> yeah
3: yeah that's true I'm not the best in that situation anyway but the blood transfusion went ahead um and it was about two hours into that I felt that I needed to use the bathroom and I got up and I had to haul this bag of blood along with me and I just remember feeling really heavy and weak and floaty and it was just I was I didn't feel right whatsoever and it was when I got back to the ward that I knew something was wrong you know and
1: Well, that's uh, In Good Hands there by Andrew Ripon. Indeed, Rachel was in good hands as she was having that blood transfusion at the time. She
3: didn't think so, did you, Rachel? No, I definitely didn't.
1: So after the, after the loo you go and you're not feeling right, what happened then?
3: Well, I now know that Um, I either had an allergic reaction to it or the blood was infected. It's never been sort of clear which of those it was, but I didn't know that's what was happening at the time that I was having this reaction. So I've taken myself back to the ward, which is empty except for one other mother, a new mother that was opposite me. And I remember that she was looking at me a little bit concerned, you know, and I I started to shiver and I, I do feel the cold. So I thought, oh, I'm just really cold all of a sudden. And I was really, really trembling and, um, to the point where my teeth started to chatter and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I must be freezing, <laughs> I don't know what's going on and I pressed the buzzer to call, I just wanted to ask for another blanket, that was what I was doing but the, the minute the midwife came came into the ward and saw me she pressed an alarm, then I was surrounded by nurses and midwives and the transfusion was immediately stopped and an oxygen mask was put on my face That must have been very frightening for you It was, yeah, yeah. It was. I didn't know what was going on I was really young and naive, I had no idea and then I noticed that my nails were turning blue and obviously I was struggling to breathe and I, I just remember thinking, oh, I'm dying.
1: Hmm. And well, how did you feel at that
3: moment with the
1: realisation that actually this could be it?
3: For a moment, I was pretty scared because I, hmm. I just didn't know what to expect. I thought, is that what's happening? I'm, I was more annoyed that I was alone. <laughs> my family weren't with me and I just remember thinking, I'm on my own and this is it.
1: Hmm. So then it got better.
3: It did, yes. Pretty instantly um, I came out of my body and that went on to just be the most incredible experience of my life. So that must have blown your mind. <laughs> so, yeah, so, it did, yeah. And w- could you see yourself? Yeah, just momentarily. I was hovering above myself and my newborn baby um, and then next I was just shooting up, straight up. So if I has to ask you what the feeling was like... I'll never forget the feeling of shooting upward. It was I like to liken it to when you're on a roller coaster ride and you could feel that wind just rushing all through you and oh it's just incredible. It was like I I'm pretty convinced I was travelling at the speed of light and I could feel that. It was really exhilarating.
1: So up you go and then what happened?
3: and then I, I had a guide with me I'm convinced of that I was not on my own and but I couldn't see that being so it was
1: more a sense that someone was with you
3: yes absolutely beside me and we were shooting together up and forward and I was tumbling and it was incredible because I was feeling that and I was also simultaneously watching that happen to myself and I could sort of go between the two of experiencing it and watching it and I could see myself just shooting forward and up And that went on for some time. And then we came to a pause. And that's when I had what I now know is a life review. And that was a really, really incredible experience for me. I didn't know that's what was going on at the time, obviously. But it was where we came to what I can only describe as a room, but like a room without walls or a ceiling or a floor. It was just like this enclosed space that felt very personal. Um, And this screen appeared. I want to say screen. and like a
1: television screen
3: yeah it was kind of like that it's really hard to put into words but it was it was pretty much that and the movie of my life started to play literally from from birth I guess you, it was ne- nearly every memory that I'd ever made and experienced. So I was watching and while watching it I was simultaneously reliving it I was in that moment almost like time travelling, I was going back to that experience and re-experiencing it, and not just from my own perspective, but from the perspective of anyone else involved. So I was really experiencing that moment from everybody's perspective, and that was really eye-opening and shocking at times, you know, because I would experience a conversation I might have had with somebody where maybe my words weren't so kind, you know, and then I would experience how that felt to be on the receiving end of that and we sort of reevaluated my life choices in a way. You know, how could I have done that differently? What might I have said that would have been a better, more loving approach to a situation? And that was really transformative, you know, because it, it showed me the enormous effect of every little decision we make. The ripple effect of how kindness can impact so many people in wonderful ways. And equally, if you're not being kind, the same enormous effect that can take place just from your little actions.
1: I mean, just saying, just having that experience is a gift in itself, isn't it? Because very often, you know, when we speak to somebody, you know, the Bible does say that our words can be an encouragement, they can bless, but of course they can also curse, can't they? So you were saying a bit of both, really.
3: Absolutely. What
1: what were you feeling when all this was going on? Were were you frightened or was it it, it a
3: pleasant experience? You know, at that moment, I was kind of just disappointed with myself. You know, and I'm not talking about big things, you know, just little things where I could have made a more loving decision and just feeling really, ah, oh, I could have done better, mm. you know, just that real sense of I need to do better going forward, you know, and I, I understood, I had this new awareness that I could have made a better choice and, and I, I've carried that with me ever since in, in it all, you know, nobody's perfect, but I try to... To be more loving on a daily basis because of that life review and what I learned. You're
1: conscious of, you, of what yes, you're I speaking. Am.
3: I absolutely am not. But I hadn't been prior to the experience. So I was just living my life. But well, let's living. be honest about it. Most of us aren't, aren't we? We, no. we open
1: our traps, don't we? And we, no, goodness knows what comes out. You know? Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we, we in that room where you are having this review, I mean, did you, obviously, you, you've sensed a presence, but did you see any, any no, other No,
3: I still didn't at that time. So Felt, it was just you and the screen. And this presence beside me, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was it was really, really personal, and it, it didn't matter that this guide or this being was with me because they already knew me anyway. They'd already watched all of this and they were, it was just this feeling of loving support, you know, they weren't condemning me or, or saying, you know, oh look, what, did, what were you doing there? That wasn't okay. There was none of that. It was just how might you have done that differently you know thoughts that were coming into me
0: you're listening to community now on hope fm with keith jones bookshop serving the community for over 50 years visit keithjones.co.uk
1: well, Rachel Finch is my very special guest today talking about her near-death experience and we left her in a room where she saw her life being reviewed on a television screen and and felt, at the time, something of, of regret. Uh, but, of course, the fact that that has stayed with her means that she does things a wee bit different today, don't you, Rachel?
3: Yes, I definitely try to. So what happened then, next? What was the next phase? So the life review sort of came to a close and... I- I got the feeling of, you know, the question being put to me, what did you learn? You know, and I knew that I'd learn. The purpose of life was to just be more loving. I should have been more loving. And the next thing I knew, we were shooting up again, forward and just in this illuminated darkness at this unfathomable speed. And in the distance, I could just see this pinpoint of light. And I, I think right then and there, I knew... I rec I recognized and remembered what that was. I knew that I needed to get to that light, and I was trying to will myself to go quicker and this rushing feeling was going all through me again and it was just wonderful and I was so excited to get to this light really really full of excitement and I was obviously i was I was approaching it the light was growing in size until it was enormous, and I sort of burst into this light and i I became one with it is what it felt like i i connected with it and merged with it and obviously now i I believe that that being of light was god i really truly believe that and i so again you didn't see anything it was
1: just a a, a very strong feeling
3: yes it was and then i realized that this enormous being of light was conscious and had its own thoughts and was communicating with me it was definitely alive you know it just didn't have a physical form or, or i couldn't see a physical form but i knew it to be a superior being in that moment
1: and of course you wouldn't have known then of course the bible does say that the light of god is is what lights up the eternal city you know uh and, uh, and of course they the immense love of god which of course you were feeling
3: weren't you yes absolutely the feelings that i was feeling were indescribable it was every good feeling that you could ever imagine um initially i just I was just basking in this incredible feeling. There was no com- communication in the beginning it was just an absence of everything negative. So although it was wonderful, it was joy, it was contentment, it was peace, it was and it really was all of those different incredible feelings. It was also a complete absence of fear and anxiety and worry and pain. It was like I just forgot that those things ever existed.
1: And of course you had known a lot of that, hadn't you?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was really just so overwhelming. It was just incredible just incredible, you know, to feel such a sense of peace and joy and just total acceptance i remember feeling just total unconditional love that everything about me every decision i'd ever made every mistake i'd ever made it was all god knew and god understood and god loved me exactly as as i was anyway so then communication did happen but but not by way of speech that's right it was telepathy um and we would god sort of suggested I go back is what, what happened. God was like um And you thought, Oh that's a good idea. <laughs> well God was like, would you like to go back to your body? And at first I said no and I, I really meant that. You know, I, I was enjoying all these wonderful feelings and I thought I've only just got here. Everything feels good. For the for the first time I haven't got, you know, pain or anguish or anything and so I was pretty insulted at the idea originally and I said, No, no, I don't want to go back. Um and there was like this pause and I was asked again, do you want to go back? And three times I actually said no. And I meant it. You know, I just birthed a baby. You would think that I I was desperately, you know, wanting to get back to my body. But in that moment where I was submerged in all this unconditional love, I really didn't want to. And then I was sort of shown scenes from my future that i didn't recall and i don't still recall them until i live them and then i remember oh okay <laughs> i've so are
1: you remembering so when things happen then you thought do you know that's what, that's what i was shown yeah yeah
3: but you, been, but you don't recall in advance that's right that's right and um and that's what i was shown and i i like to say that i was lovingly persuaded to return and i sort of it was like this big sigh my soul sighing like okay I'll go back and I knew that I had to and I knew that it would be the right thing for me but I wasn't in that moment very happy about it you know because I was feeling all these wonderful feelings and the thought of going back to a body that was pretty poorly at the time in hospital wasn't a great idea (laughs) is what I thought yeah but obviously God knew better than me and then and I say I remember saying can I just have a moment more and that was granted. And I just soaked up all the light that I was submerged in and all the wonderful feelings of love. And I remember consciously thinking, I'm taking as much of this back with me as I can. And that's what I've tried to do. I really have tried to live my life and share the love that God showed me in that moment.
1: Mm. So you did come
3: back. I did, yes.
1: What was the journey back like?
3: <laughs> much, much quicker. Much quicker much darker it was just it was pretty instant you know we'd had this long build-up to reach the light full of these real excitement feelings of excitement and joy and the return was just really quick just oh thud i'm back in my body
1: That's vineyard uh, hard music there, and uh, and concrete uh, love. And you heard Rachel saying there that she had such a wonderful, uh, transcendental experience on the other side that she didn't really want to come back. But back you came, and uh, obviously you can't remember you know the things that God showed you. And why do you think? Why do you think He didn't allow you to remember?
3: I think it would change the course of my life, the decisions I made. I wouldn't be having the full human experience that mm. i'm that i'm having without that knowledge
1: and then i mean when you you're, you're in a, a situation now, it's almost like a de- deja vu really do you think oh yeah that
3: sometimes i do get that yeah and i have this what i call a knowing and i think ah, i knew that and sometimes um, even prior to an event i'll think oh this is going to happen and i'll just have this little inkling and it, it proves to be right mm. so um, it's kind of a remembering maybe so back you come how long do you think you were you were gone for moments only moments i think but to me it felt like eternities yeah it really Mm -hmm. did time was different there so you come back and uh, well what's it like it was really hard um i wish i didn't have this perspective but i do i was really cross and hurt i felt really rejected actually by god i thought why wasn't i allowed to stay in that wonderfulness? you know and it took me such a long time to, to just adjust to being back in a body and to be being human again and being in the earthly plane. It took me years to really process the experience and feel grateful for a second chance.
1: Now, I know that you did try to reach out to people and uh, to try and share your experience. Although Even that took you quite a while, didn't it?
3: It did, yes. I mean, initially I would say... I would say it took a couple of years before I was really prepared to share that just with, like, my husband, my sister, my mum. Were they your first people you shared with? They were, yeah. And we have wonderful, loving relationships. We're really, really close. And still, it was sort of received with a kind of sceptical raise of the eyebrows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I understood that. It's just the worst possible feeling when, when you're trying to share such a moving and personal experience. I kind of just wanted somebody... To, to relate or to, mm. I don't know, receive it with with compassion, you know, because it was a traumatic, at the same time, incredible experience.
1: I suppose it's all a bit like a double rejection, isn't it? So you felt rejected because you had to come back Mm -hmm. you you had a choice to come back but that's true but But then of course the other rejection is with the people you're trying to share it with
3: yes that's right so I kind of just and don't get me wrong you know they were loving they listened to me and they they tried to support me I just knew that they didn't really understand and didn't really get it you know Mm. They thought I was a bit loopy, and I knew that.
1: <laughs> and then, and then, of course, uh, your path crossed with Joseph, who we heard from right at the beginning of the program, right. from, uh, from the Near Death Experience uh, Foundation, and. Um, why did you reach out to them, and how did you what, how did you hear about them?
3: Well, I was googling, you know, NDEs, trying to just find anybody that had been through something similar because I thought, am I the only person this has ever happened to? You know, when you're not, when you don't know anyone that's been through the same, it can feel really lonely and isolating. And I thought I've got to find somebody that knows what I'm talking about. I need to kind of prove to myself I'm not crazy. You know, it really did happen. Someone else must know what I'm talking about, and came across NDF, and you know, and. That just changed my life because I was reading thousands of accounts of other people that had been through the same. And I thought, wow, this is and it was it just changed my life knowing, you know, that I wasn't alone in that experience. And did can you recall the first conversation you had with Joseph? Little bits of it. I can't I can't remember all of it. I know that he was incredibly compassionate and knowledgeable about NDEs And I thought, wow, he knows what I'm talking about. So, so at last, somebody who yeah. doesn't think you're a fruitcake. Yeah, cake. yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'd waited a really long time by the time I met Joseph. You know, you're talking over 10 years of just sitting in this isolating feeling of nobody knows what I'm talking about, you know, and I got all confused about it. But he was just so warm and welcoming and, and knowledgeable, and that's what I needed. I needed someone that that had statistics and information and educated knowledge about the, the, the experience scientifically if nothing else you know so I, I just gained from that that encounter in so many ways.
1: Now obviously you had no theological uh, background at all you, you wouldn't have called yourself a person of faith that's right at all did your interest in thing all things faith change?
3: Yes dramatically I thought um okay Clearly, this is, you know, that was God. (laughs) I need to pursue. Who isn't God? Yeah, I wanted to know all about it. So I remember buying myself a Bible and I wanted to find a church and just find like-minded people that might understand the enormous faith that I suddenly had.
1: Now, I know that you are not critical, but your experiences within the church were just as negative as anywhere else, weren't they?
3: Unfortunately, they were, yeah. And, like, my family aren't religious, and I thought, okay, maybe they don't get it because they're not religious. You know, maybe I just need to find, you know, a tribe of people that... Who would understand these things. Yes. Mm. And did they? No, sadly not. So why do you think that was, Rachel? I think it was probably just too big for, for people to process. I think that even now, the story is a lot. You know, it's hard to explain to anyone. There are no words that can do the experience justice. So it's a lot for people to process and try and get their head around. And I don't know, maybe it's just too enormous. You would think that everything that you read about in the Bible, that like that's literally what I'm describing. It's, it's so beautiful and so incredible and so obviously that, you know, but it's just... It just wasn't received that well at all. And did that cause you some distress? Yes, it did, absolutely. It was. It really hurt me because not only was it kind of rejected, it was insinuated that the experience was the complete opposite of godly. Demonic. Yes, almost, yeah. And that hurt me even more because I, I just thought, absolutely not, categorically not. Mm. I know what I've experienced, you know, and mm. I know I can't put that into words, but kind of you just trust me that it wasn't anything other than I'm saying it was, you know.
1: I think if it was demonic, you would have known about mm, it. <laughs> mm. Because actually, and I no doubt, uh, you know, Joseph has told you this, that there are many near-death experiences and some of them aren't so pleasant. That's as, right, that's right. Uh, you know, as yours, no doubt you've read that. I mean, as you read the Bible yourself, I mean, clearly like in... You know whether it be in Revelation, or there are stories in the Bible where people are transported, they are showing God's
3: glory. And uh, did you? W- were you able? To, did anybody point you to any of those stories? Only Joseph. Hmm. And and when you know, like I said, it was a long time coming. But when when we had those conversations, and it was brought to my attention, that really was helpful for me to be able to look and see these stories and hear that. Like wow, it it sort of just solidified my own faith and my own trust in in what happened.
1: Mm, indeed, yeah. The I mean, I, I think. I mean, do you think that really um, we're all human, aren't we? And we live on this human level. Um, and and I guess one of our problems in the world is letting go. You know, we're also. Wanting to be in control, mm. don't you think mm. so? I guess you 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 can see that in a whole different way. You can see the almost like the foolishness of all of us. You know, we don't even talk about death, do we?
3: We don't know. It's a really sensitive subject, isn't it? And certainly, I've I've even found that at home. I love to talk about it. I know that's really unusual. You know, it's just I wish that other people could at least sort of entertain the idea of actually it's a positive thing you know and I understand why that's a lot and you know don't get me wrong I've lost loved ones since my NDE you know and I know the pain and that's in grief you know I fully understand Mm, that I do but at the same time it it, they really truly have gone to a better place
1: Rebecca St. James and Cover Me and my very special guest Rachel Price today. We've been talking about her near-death experience and also the tremendous difficulties of other people. You'll be able to talk and share. Here Rachel is on the radio and I just wonder what you're feeling as you've heard her tell her story. If, If she was sat in your living room or in your car and you're having a cup of tea and whatever and she was just telling you this, what what would you be thinking? And I guess, Rachel, a sad reality is that most of the reaction that you have had has not been encouraging for you.
3: That's right, yeah. And I, I do understand that. You know, it's heavy. It's a lot. But, I mean, it has been dis- disheartening over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wasn't as determined as I am I might have stopped talking about it you know
1: <laughs> well only God could direct you to a radio station where you can talk to the world about that's it that's right know? <laughs> no but you had another experience well of course which is, this experience we're just going to talk about now is it's a sad experience because uh you were pregnant with with, with your fifth child that's it? right yes you had four children and uh, your fifth child what you tell us
3: yeah um I had a son called Eden um, and I was about six weeks pregnant and I felt God tell me that I was carrying a boy and tell me that I would lose him. And I shared that with my husband um, and he thought, you know, he was trying to reassure me. He said, you're just anxious. Everything's okay." And I was obviously really adamant. I said, I know that I've received this communication from God and that's what's happening. I'm carrying a son, and we're going to lose him. And I didn't actually lose him till about 17 weeks. So that's 10 or 11 weeks that I was carrying him, knowing that that he would die, and he would go back to heaven with God. And that was pretty lonely at the time, because everyone around me just thought, you know, you're worrying, everything's okay. And it was kind of just between me and God, you know, and, but I trusted God, and I knew that that's what was going to happen, even before any medical professionals had had said there was anything to worry about. And for me, it was an incredibly emotional experience birthing him because I felt that I'd already communicated with him when he was in my womb, and I'd already communicated with God about the fact that he was going to take my son and he was going to look after my son for me. and And it was—I I want to say—beautiful, even though it broke my heart. You know, it was a really moving and spiritual experience for me.
1: It didn't I mean after that experience, did did you have a, a glimpse of your son? Did God give you that experience of showing that he was with him?
3: I haven't seen it, but I know it in my heart. I mm. really know it. It's annoying in you know, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Which, of course, is
1: really what you were experiencing, you know, when you were on the other side, wasn't it? You you had this sense of communication, and it was communication mm-hmm. uh, uh, to you, but nevertheless. So the the pain of, of death, and of course, the, the, your children you know, have got autism. That's right. And that that must also be a challenge for you. It your, is challenging, that. yes.
3: I think that, you know, when I came back to, to my body all those years ago, 16 years ago, there were times where I thought, why have I been sent back? What is the point? I, you know, I was in perfect peace, and, like, what what's, what's my purpose? You know, I really questioned that a lot. And over the years, all the different things that have happened in my life, you know, birthing my my children and seeing what they need from me and the community online with bruised but not broken there are just so many ways that i can give now that i'm i've got this second chance of life and i'm grateful for that
1: so as you look back on it now rachel what do you think your purpose is then
3: i think that we've all got the same purpose i think if we can bring love to life you know and touch people's lives and impact people in positive ways and show each other the compassion and love that that god or jesus would want us to to do then that's what i'm determined to do anyway just live as lovingly as i can
1: now obviously if we were transported into some other countries in the world that the the, the Every country has a different perspective on faith and religion and sure. so on. Sadly, here in our own country, we've become quite secular, haven't we, in a way. I guess you must you must feel that acutely, you know, because in a sense, knowing that there is a God and knowing that the experience that you had was real, but that actually looking around you and seeing the pain and, and all of the things that people go through, sometimes unnecessarily, it must cause you some distress.
3: It does. It's really heartbreaking, you know, supporting everyone on on with our online community. You know, people will say, why did this happen to me? What's the purpose of the pain I've gone through? And obviously I don't have answers like that. I can't answer for God. You know, I just know that I try from a personal perspective to be as resilient as I can and to continue pursuing joy and peace and, and sharing love. It sounds so cliché, but that is genuinely how I live my life, you know. God showed me love and compassion, and that's exactly what I want to do to my brothers and sisters here on earth.
1: Now, obviously, your are original sort of reading the Bible and so on and getting rejected, and that hasn't stopped you going to church, has it?
3: No, I did continue to go... <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm really resilient you know I just thought nope I've got my this is my story and this is what I'm gonna do with it and I, I kept going you know and I wanted my children to experience that as well you know and have faith in their hearts and they've all they take individual routes with it and I support that in in all different ways you know and but yeah it didn't stop me I just wish inside that they're a bit more open to to my experience
0: You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop serving the community for over 50 years visit keithjones.co.uk.
1: Well, Rachel Finch has been my very special guest uh, all of this programme talking about her near-death experience and how that has had a profound it had a profound effect on you, Rachel of course, in having the experience and of course it's had an even more profound effect on you uh ever since if I asked you you know looking back on those experiences and the way you live your life now what are are the, the things that have probably been the most positive influence on you
3: the life review really changed my life because it made me pause and think about the impact that I had on other people you know, and I, I still try and think about that now. I have my moments, you know, I'm human. But I stop and think before I speak as often as I can, you know, and I think how can I add to somebody's life in a positive way, try and be patient with people and have compassion and empathy with people. Um, and I've really carried that with me ever since the NDA because I, I wasn't living like that prior to that life review. You know, I was just bopping along thinking about me. And, and after I had that that experience of reflecting on my own words and choices that really was that really changed how i felt about about my impact and the way i can touch everyone's lives of course
1: most people are like that aren't you 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 just get on don't you if you if you have a perspective as i guess many people do that this is the life we have and and that's it you know Mm. (laughs) i guess that you you, you can't blame people for living for no
3: absolutely not for themselves
1: yeah has there been a change in your family I mean obviously they've live now
3: lived with you for quite a few years <laughs> since, since all of this started yeah Are do you I mean do you still talk about it with them I do yeah nothing's going to stop me from sharing it because it's just so enormous in my life you know and I wanted my children to know that that that's what happened to me and why I'm so faithful and, you know, truthful with them and I'm open and honest about the experience. My daughter knows that that's what happened, you know, two days after her birth. I actually celebrate the day of the NDA as a second birthday almost. Yeah, it's just a special day to me where I, I pause and reflect. What on, was that date, Rachel? It's June the second. Yeah. My daughter was actually born on the thirty first of May and June the second you know, we don't we don't have a party or anything, but but I'm really just I take time that it's day. Your, it's to, your own little
1: remembrance day, right. is yeah,
3: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And uh, if you had the choice, I mean, if if God appeared in the studio right now and said, "Oh, Rich, it's good to see you again. Fancy <laughs> coming home?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? Do you know, um, wow, what a question that would be so incredible but I know now that I've got work to do here and I'm so at peace with that and I'm so grateful for the second chance at life you know and I because I look back and I think if we'd done it my way I would have stayed there you know <laughs> but we did it God's way and God knew that I still had work to do and I've met some incredible people since then and I've gone on to have more children and we have a happy family and you know I think I'm just so grateful for this experience.
1: Now going back to where we started, and that's your website, which is called "Bruised but Not Broken." So, "Bruised but Not Broken." Oh, in fact, it's not a website; it's a Facebook page. That's right. Bruised, Bruised but Not Broken." Over the over recent years, uh, you've and you are in communication with eight hundred thousand people who have signed up. To your Facebook page and you're communicating with them, and I guess that practically all of them are there because they've gone through pain and injustice and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. How, how has your your near death experience helped you to to reach out to those folk that you're in constant contact contact with?
3: I mean, when I started that page, it was really like I said, it was I was just thinking, okay, this will help me heal. You know, I really hadn't clocked that that was part of what. God wanted me to be doing you know and then when I saw it growing and the people that I was touching and you know, it, all all walks of life. There are people from all countries, all cultures, all nationalities, all all different struggles in life. You know, addiction, grief, loss, abuse, all traumas. You know, it, it's outside of what I would consider myself educated to, to manage. But I feel that God walks it with me. You know, and there's there's just so much compassion and empathy in the community, and one want, everyone wants each other to to heal and recover from what they've been through and live their best lives. it's just become a beautiful journey
1: and have you shared your near-death experience with some folk in the community I
3: have yes
1: and how have they reacted you have wrote about it haven't you
3: I have yes I've I've got a a short collection of poems you know that's kind of it was just a therapeutic experience for me to to try and find words to, to do the experience justice even though it's fairly impossible you know but that was a beautiful experience for me as well just to try and articulate what had happened and share that with with people that support me online. And that was was well received. You know, I'm fortunate to have a a really incredible community of people that want the best for me the same way I want the best for them. And how can people access your poems? Um, You can find the book on Amazon. It's called Conversations with My Higher Self. And,
1: I mean, what's the sort of feel of it?
3: It's just, it's literally the experience of the NDE from start to finish told through very short pieces of poetry. So, folks, uh,
1: you want to get, check that out on Amazon's Conver- Conversations with My uh, Higher Self. Uh, that would be um, uh, generally available on, yes. as you say. Uh, how much
3: is it? Um, I think it's about nine ninety nine.
1: Yeah, and of course, Rachel Finch is the author.
3: That's <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: uh, and don't forget, if you want to check out the uh, the near death experience website, uh, just to let you know that that's NDERF N D E R F dot org. NDERF near death experience foundation.org, nenderf.org. And there's lots of stories on there, Rachel, isn't there? That's right, thousands, Someone yes.